Well, uh, this year, I think more than any other year, I think one thing we can all agree on, there's not a lot, but I think one thing we could all agree on today, sitting here in December of 2020, is that people need hope. Amen? Can we agree on that? That's what amen means. You can say amen all the time because that just means agreeing together in the Lord. Some of you think it's this super spiritual thing to say. We're just agreeing together. And I think we would all agree on that. Even people who aren't Christians, maybe you're watching this uh, at home and kind of just checking out a, a church and you've never done that before, but you figure, why not? It's 2020, it's Christmas, maybe I'll watch uh, online. And, and I think all of us in our world, no matter where we are spiritually and all those things would agree, people need hope. Now here's where we would disagree is what we mean by hope. You see, as I, I talk about hope, and as I say we need hope in the midst of everything that's going on in this year and in the time that we're living in, and even just in the holidays where there's all the hustle and bustle and the expectation, and, and for a lot of us, loneliness, and all those things are amplified even more. And this year, when I say we need hope, what I'm not talking about is positivity, possibility, or even puppies. Now, um, we have a picture of my puppy. To be honest, I really was just looking for a reason to show him to you. This is Lincoln, uh, the newest addition to the Birdwell family, and isn't he cute? Amen. Come on, you can agree puppies are cute. It's okay. But I think as much as my puppy brings perceived hope, he also brings hurt. He bites, Right? So we might see that and we see him laying there. He doesn't always do that. And, and, and he's not, not perfect. And he, he drops the ball, literally. And he doesn't always bring true hope. And so when we say people need hope, and listen, everybody's saying that right now. I'm not talking about puppies. I'm not talking about positivity. I'm not even talking about possibility for a vaccine or a new year, 2021. <laughs> I'm not talking about those things. What we defined it last week is that hope biblically is confident expectation that's rooted not in positivity, not in possibility, but promise. Primarily in this Advent season, the promise that we're talking about, the promises that we're looking for is that God would break through human history and come to restore and rescue humanity that he would save us from our sin, like people like you and like me, that, that that's the hope, that's the confident expectation rooted in promise. When we say people need hope, that's the hope we're talking about biblically. What we said last week is we look at this, this hope and how it came about, it was often coming about in unexpected ways. As we look at 2020, you need to know, listen to me, God is still bringing hope even if it's in ways you would not expect. And so last week we talked about there's hope in, in waiting. We don't really expect there to be hope in waiting. We, we think, hey, when the vaccine actually arrives, that's when hope arrives. And, and God's gonna say, no, there's hope in the waiting for that. Hey, when I get that job, like that's when the confident expectation, no, there's, there's hope, there's, there's hope that's rooted in promise before that point. There's hope in, in waiting. God is with you in the waiting. He's working in the waiting. You have hope even in the waiting. And today we're gonna look at there's hope in simplicity. Again, an unlikely, unexpected way that God would bring hope. Today in the day of the gospels, that God bring hope, brings hope in simplicity. And so we're going to look at that together. Uh, so let's look at it together. Grab a Bible with me. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. 
That's where we are going to be. Pull it up on your phone. Get a Bible in front of you if you're at home. Uh, pull that Bible out. Let's read along together. We're going to look at another announcement about a birth. Last week, if you were here, we looked at this announcement through Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, advanced in years. Isn't that how he said it, right? Zechariah about his wife, Elizabeth. Men, did you take notes on that? Uh, not old, but advanced in years, this woman Elizabeth was going to give birth to John the Baptist, who had paved the way for Jesus. We're going to look at another announcement. It's through the angel Gabriel again, and Mary, as we see Jesus in this announcement, this hope that's coming to earth in the form of Jesus, we see this announcement. So look at it with me. Luke 1, starting in verse 26. We'll read the whole story and then break it down. It says this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son, of the, the son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. We see Mary's response, verse 34. Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, advanced in years, I was supposed to say that, in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Do you see that? Barrenness and now a virgin. Nothing is impossible with God. Amen? We see that just in these two announcements. Verse 38, Mary says this profound statement. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. If you take notes, here's our first statement that hope arrives through simple circumstances, yet extravagant grace. Hope arrives through simple circumstances, yet extravagant grace. Luke begins to lay out these circumstances. You see him in the text. You have the angel Gabriel showing up to make this announcement to Mary, and he makes a connection with the other announcement that we talked about last week. He says in the sixth month, what's he talking about? The sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. You see, he makes this connection with Elizabeth and Mary that we see a little bit later in the text that they are actually relatives. So we get a timeline, the sixth month of a pregnancy of Elizabeth. Now he's coming to Mary. You're, you're gonna be pregnant as well. Elizabeth, six months along, and you're relatives, and we get all that information from Luke. Now why? Because we have a hope that's rooted in history. Tell me where you see in here once upon a time. I'll wait. We don't see that. We have Luke, a medical doctor who's done his research, interviewed people like Mary herself, interviewed others, and he's doing his research and he's giving you the, the research and all of the details because he's wanting to show you we have a hope that's rooted in history. 
Listen, I know a lot of us, we've, we've heard this story before around this time of the year. We hear it a lot. And you can get trained just to think, okay, yeah, and you see your nativity scene, like, yes, this is just what happens. And this is rooted in history. It's rooted in promise. It's rooted in reality. And that's what Luke is trying to show us just with these few details. And he lays out even more details. And we start to look at these details. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this because we have read it so often and heard it so often. But have you noticed the simplicity, the obscurity, the humility of the backdrop of God coming to earth? If you just look at it, verse 26, we see this city named Nazareth. Now, that may not mean much to you, but it would have in that day. In fact, most scholars believe the reason he gives the region Galilee as well as the city Nazareth is because if he had just said Nazareth, people would have thought, where? Where, Where's Nazareth? So he has to give the region so people would know. And now today, if you go take your tour of Israel and you go to the city of Nazareth, you're gonna see a lot of people there. And you're gonna think, Tim, what are you talking about? This is like a museum. It's packed with tourists, a lot of activity, a lot of things going on. Not in that day. That most historians will tell us at this point, Nazareth, that city, had about 150 people in it max. A tiny, tiny town. Some of you grew up in a tiny, tiny town like this. My wife grew up in a tiny, tiny town called Holland. Not the country, but a tiny town in central Texas. One gas station, one school, and a cornfield. Just a few houses down on her street is a giant cornfield. I kid you not. She told me how to get to her house the first time I ever went there. And she said, go to the cornfield and turn right. right? That's the kind of town she grew up in. That's what you need to be picturing. Uh, they have, just as a side note, just to embarrass my wife for a moment, they had a corn fest every year which is fantastic, as it sounds, right? And my wife was once the Cornfest queen, so just take that note. And, sorry, babe. A small town, that's what you should picture. That's Nazareth. Hey, what's the backdrop for God coming to earth? Is it a parade? Is it a press conference? It's a small, tiny town. I just noticed this this week as I was reading this familiar story. Where are the people? It's not only not a parade or a press conference, there's nobody else there. You got an angel and you got Mary. For God breaking into human history, for for the hope of the world, it comes through a simple place. But not just a simple place, through a simple person. As we look at Mary, you know, some traditions and paintings will depict Mary as a 30-year-old lady-ish with a golden halo sitting on a golden throne. And some of you have been in those traditions and you've seen those paintings, but as we look at scripture and as we look at history, that's not what we see at all. In fact, we see a, a teenage girl, not a 30-year-old woman, a teenage girl, maybe about 15 years old, and we see in this text she was a virgin, she was betrothed, that means she was committed to be married to someone. And the person she's committed to be married to isn't a prince, he's a carpenter from this tiny town of Nazareth. And we see Mary, she's a great example, we're gonna get to that in a few moments, but she was not exalted. And we see a great evidence of that, don't you? In verses 29 and 30, that when she sees this angel, what's her response? She's troubled, and she's fearful. Like everybody else in the Bible, Mary's troubled, 
and she's fearful. She was not omniscient. She was not omnipresent. She didn't know everything that was gonna happen. She wasn't everywhere at all times. She's a teenage girl from a tiny, tiny town. She's a simple person coming from a simple place. And yet, how does the angel talk to Mary? Look at it. He doesn't even use her name. Instead, he calls her, verse 28, look at it. He says, oh, favored one. Simple person, simple place. Extravagant favor. That's the backdrop for the hope of the world, for confident expectation, the promise that God would burst into human history and rescue people, sinners like you and me. This is how it happens. This is how hope shows up, not in fame, but in extravagant favor. That's how it shows up. And as we start to look at that, as we start to examine this closely, it's even more amazing than that. Notice, Mary doesn't even ask for God's favor. Do you see that? Mary wasn't walking along this, this faithful servant of God and said, God, please give me your favor. God, grant me your favor. I'd love to be the mother who would raise God. It's actually a lifelong dream of mine since I was a wee little girl. Please grant me favor. But God just shows up and he does it. In the Old Testament, we see people asking God for favor, but people like Gideon or Hannah or David, God, please give me favor. God, give me favor. And God would grant it, and it was this amazing thing. But how much more amazing is this? Mary's a teenage girl, a virgin. She says, how is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. She knows how procreation works. She knows how the system works. First comes marriage. Then comes the baby and the baby carriage. Marriage knew the sequence of events. She's not looking for this kind of favor, yet God grants it. Why? Because that's what favor is. This word favor is the same word that is uh, often used as grace. Unmerited. That our relationship with God is not based on our resume, our works, or our background, or the town we grew up in. You grew up in Phoenix, you grew up in Cream Creek. God can give you favor, amen? That's amazing. Have you been to Queen Creek? Okay. God can give you favor. Why? It's unmerited. It's extravagant favor in simple circumstances. That's how the hope of the world came into being. Could it be that in your life in 2020, however simple your circumstances may feel at the moment, that God wants to bring the same kind of hope through you? And maybe you're thinking, Tim, I'm not even asking for that. I'm trying to hide from God. But guess what? He's coming for you. He's pursuing you to give you favor, to give you his grace. This is what God does. This is how he brings hope. And if we look at the text, look at it again with me, verse 31 through 33. Look at the outworking of this favor. Look at these promises that we get. What's hope? It seems abstract, doesn't it? Well, just hope. It's a presidential slogan, hope. Even if it's not the exact presidential slogan, everybody pitches that, hope. What possibility, positivity. We got an email the other day from my kid's school that they just went back uh, online, so pray for me, um, please. And uh, they sent us an email of like, you need, your kids need 60 minutes of exercise, and you know, they need all these things, and they probably don't need to be looking at a screen. That was, wasn't in the email, but... Um, <laughs> 
But they talked about, it was like, it was really nicely arranged. And I saved the photo and we talked about it as a family. I'm not against the school, right? But a lot of it was based on like positivity and make sure they're not looking at these things and make sure they're not talking about too much of these things. And, And a lot of it was positivity. A lot of it was possibility, but not promise. What's hope? It's confident expectation rooted in promise. Listen, we get jam-packed with promises. Of course, the promise in general that that God would come into the world, but there's all these little subsets of promises that we can hang on to, that we can have hope in, just in this text, verse 31 through 33. The first one, Mary will bear a son. You may just pass over that. Well, Tim, I know, I've seen the nativity scene. But that's a promise. That's a promise. Emmanuel, God with us, is that Mary would bear a son. That God would be with us, get this, that God would come to earth in the way that every one of us comes into the earth. He would be born. That as we look at Elizabeth, she was six months pregnant. People who are pregnant, you ask them like, how far along are you? Same way, this is a real, real situation. That God with us, God comes into the world like we all come into the world. And that, that tells us the promise that we have hope in, that tells us, hey, God can relate to us. God can empathize with us. He's not a mystical force out there. He, he's real life here. He was, he was a baby. So we can know, God, you're with us. Even in 2020, you're with us. Even while I wait on this job, you're with us. Even in this conflict with my spouse, you're with us. Even in a presidential election, you're with us. You're with us. Why? You were born. We can visibly look at Scripture and be reminded of that. We see his name is going to be Jesus. That literally means he's going to save people from their sin. So Mary's going to give birth to a son, but he's not just a son. He's the Savior. And that he is going to meet a need that all of us have. He's gonna meet a need that we have to the depth of our being. A lot of us feel like we have needs right now. A lot of us do have needs, economically, financially, spiritually, relationally, emotionally, mentally. We have needs, circumstantially. I just talked about online school. We have needs. Here's the hope we have, rooted in promise, is that our greatest need has already been met. That if you call yourself a Christian, that if you claim faith in Jesus Christ, there's one need that's already been met. All of your sin, past, present, and future, that you have done, but it gets better, that's been done to you, has been forgiven. Could have named him anything else, but named him Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save people from their sin. He's going to heal our greatest need. And that's the hope we have. It's hanging on that promise. The angel goes on to say about Jesus that he's gonna be great. That's contrasting with the current ruler in that day that's mentioned, Herod the Great. He was the ruler of that day. That was his nickname. And and the the messenger says specifically, hey, Jesus, no, he's actually gonna be great. He's the son of the most high. So we're getting a feel of his reign here as a ruler. Jesus, he's not just a baby, he's a king. He'll sit on the throne of David and reign forever. Listen, Jesus Christ has no term limits. Come on. Jesus Christ doesn't depend on mail-in ballots. Jesus Christ doesn't depend on the state of the electoral college. 
or the Supreme Court. We just heard this little baby is going to reign as a king for eternity. Now, I know I just used a lot of trigger words there, and so some of you are trying to pick back up with me, so stay with me, right? But you need to know, some of you are stressed out because of the election. Some of you are like, people need hope, and you're like, yes. I mean, this election season has sapped all of my hope. We need hope desperately. You have it in Jesus. Some of us are looking, and who's in charge? Who's in charge right now? Like, we're in this in-between time, and I see these tweets from, from this president, and I see this other announcement from this future president, and, and kind of they're both claiming to be president, and like, how is this going to work? Who is in charge? Jesus. You know, I, I voted, um, and I slept well that night. I voted in this election, and I slept well. Why? Because ultimately, my citizenship is not in a country, it's in the kingdom. And that king reigns forever. And that king is independent of my circumstances. Do you have hope because of that this morning? Do you have hope that this is the promise that we can sit up under no matter regime changes, no matter policy changes, we have a person in Jesus Christ who reigns forever. We get that just in this little passage. There's this promise of hope. God's coming to earth, but it's not just that. It's, it's better than that. There's all these little promises of who Jesus would be, and we get that just in this announcement in the simple place of Nazareth through the simple person of Mary. Here's what our culture is gonna tell us that's required for hope, for favor. That, that our culture will tell us that favor requires fame, followers, finance. That, hey, that's really how you get favor. You, you climb that ladder, you get enough followers, you get enough influence on Instagram. And all of us are struggling with that this year because nobody cares, right? No, nobody cares anymore. We're just like, hey, how is this all going to be fixed? When's the last time you went to a movie and saw a famous person on a big screen and paid an overpriced ticket to do that? Nobody cares right now. But our culture sold us this, this truth of like, well, no, but to have favor, you, you got to have those things. You got to have fame. You got to have followers. You got to have finance. And in this announcement of Jesus coming to earth, God blows up all of that. He says, no, 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 I'm gonna bring the son of God, the hope of the entire world, to a tiny town of 150 people, to a, a teenage girl who's a virgin. That's how hope is gonna come. That's how favor is gonna come. It's gonna come through simplicity. I know for me, this has been a weird year as well, just like for many of you, and the deepest, most impactful times where I've had hope, where hope has broken into my heart and my mind and my life, it hasn't been through large, fast, and famous. It's been through obscure, simple, and humble. Okay? One of these times was when a, a few friends of mine who were pastors, they invited me to go to Flagstaff. And it was during the middle of the week, and I was just like, my first response is like many of yours would be like, I ain't got time for that. <laughs> I'm too busy. And I almost canceled on them even the night before, but I went with these guys to Flagstaff. 
and, and we drove into this wooded area, and I had no idea where we were going. We kept driving. It was really rocky, and we went as far as we could up in the woods, and guess what we did? Nothing. We didn't go for a hike. We pulled out our camping chairs, and we sat around, and I don't know if you realize this. It's a weird year to lead things, and so we're all leaders who've been leading things, and, and nothing um, we're not able to count on anything. Things change, we're not a plan for anything. A lot of people, I don't know if you know this, have different opinions on things this year. Like I get an email one week about masks like this, I get an email the next week about masks on the opposite of the end of the spectrum. I get one person who's upset about politics and what they mean by upset about politics is exactly the opposite of what somebody else means by politics and maybe the opposite of what I think of as politics. And it's been this weird year and you kind of start to feel just like anybody in the world that you're alone in that. And maybe it's just me. So I take this time, I carve out this time, I get in front of these trees and flagstaff and we do nothing and I talk to these other pastors and realize, oh, it's not just me. <laughs> it's not just me. And that gave me hope. How? Because I got on a platform, because we got more YouTube subscribers smashing the button? No. Because I was sitting in the middle of nowhere with three other guys who reminded me, hey, you're not alone. Another time, another simple time was I was on a plane to go pick up that cute puppy and then drive back 15 hours. And some of you are gonna continue to ask, why? Why'd you do that? I'll tell you the story later. But I'm on that plane and you know what, honestly, the way I perceived that whole trip was, hey, I'm a dad, I'm gonna gut this out for my kids. I'm gonna fly to Oklahoma and I'm gonna drive back 15 hours to bring back the puppy. And I wasn't too excited about it, but I'm gonna do it because I'm a dad, right? But guess what? On that plane, as we had the middle seat open, thank you, I had so much clarity. Like just remove it, like just some, some simplicity. I couldn't access the internet and I just pulled out my notes and I started preparing a sermon. I started preparing the rest of our Advent series and I'd kind of been in a funk but guess where I got breakthrough? In simplicity. I planned out our New Year series. I need to go pick up a puppy in Oklahoma a lot more times, apparently. Right? God, through simplicity, he brought hope. See, don't discount the simple places, the simple people, the simple circumstances in your life. God can break through and bring hope rooted in promise. He can change your circumstances that seem so simple but he can do it through hope in the midst of that simplicity. How are you in 2020 as you're stuck at home and things seem simple? As you're not even going into the office and things seem simple? As you don't get to talk to a lot of people and things seem simple? How are you discounting those things and not opening up your eyes to the hope rooted in promise that God wants to bring in your life? That's what we see through this announcement that hope arrives through simple circumstances, yet extravagant grace. The second thing we see is hope arrives through simple obedience, yet profound power. That we said it earlier, Mary isn't to be exalted, but she is a great example. All right, we see that in this text. Look at verse 34. Mary starts to respond to this extravagant grace, this extravagant favor. She says, how will this be? I'm a virgin. Notice there, in the midst of this simple obedience, this simple faith that Mary has, she still asks a question. But her question, it doesn't overcome her in doubt so that she doesn't obey. 
it causes her still to land in a place of faith and obedience. You need to know, if you're here today and you have questions, God can handle your questions. He's bigger than your questions. Right? You can ask those questions, but ultimately land in a place of faith. We have faith, obedience, and we also have understanding. God wants to give you that. God begins to give Mary that. He says, the angel says, hey, here's how it's gonna happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. I love this. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Again, as we get confused about Mary, is she example or is she exalted? She's example. We see it right here in a very vivid way. The power of the Most High, he'll overshadow you. If Mary is not a little bit overshadowed, we're doing it wrong. Right? I preached at a funeral that I was really honored to preach at, but the guy had a, a Catholic background. And so he said, hey, here's how it's gonna work. We're gonna have the priest come up and he's gonna preach for a little while and he's gonna do the funeral and then we're gonna have you come up. And I said, are you sure? And he said, yes. And so it was literally like a tag team kind of situation. He finished his deal and we didn't slap hands. But other than that, it was like a tag team preaching situation at this funeral, the most unique funeral I've ever been a part of in my life. And during that whole first half of the sermon that he was giving, one, he didn't mention the guy who died, he didn't mention his name more than twice, and he probably didn't mention Jesus more than twice either. But we talked a lot about Mary. And we did a lot of responsive readings about Mary. And he was picturing our, our hope being in Mary. And, and what we see in this text is, no, Mary is overshadowed by God, that he's our true hope. And let me just say this. Some of you have a Catholic background. Some of you have friends who are Catholic, and you always wonder, like, are they Christians? And absolutely, Catholics can be Christians. But in that tradition, this is what we're susceptible to a little bit, that we, we exalt Mary instead of looking at her as an example. And some of you, because you've been in that tradition before, or you see that, you go to the other end of the spectrum and you wanna diminish Mary, but we don't need to diminish her. We don't need to exalt her, but we don't need to diminish her. She is a great example, primarily of faith and obedience. And we see that in this text. We see that this power is gonna come over her and we see this great response, this last line. She says simply, I am your servant, let it be. How does it happen? Is it because Mary has a golden halo sitting on a golden throne? This, this great woman of zeal? She just says, I am your servant, let it be. It's not ambition, it's submission. That's how God's power works. That's how we see this profound impact, the Son of God breaking into human history, just saying, hey, God, I, I'm available for that. I don't understand it. I'm a virgin. How is this all going to work? But I'm your servant. Let it be. We see the impossibility of this in verse 37. Look at that verse. When the angel says, hey, nothing is impossible with God, it implies this seems impossible. This can't happen. Not just, not just through me, not this simple place, not this simple person. And the angel reminds her, hey, it's not about you. It's about God. He is exalted, but you get to be this great example of simple obedience. Let me ask you, what's robbing you of this type of simple obedience? Is it fear? Is it thinking, I don't know enough? I mean, God, I need, I got lots of questions, not just one. I need those answered. Before I'm gonna say, I'm your servant, let it be, that simple act of obedience, I got a whole list of questions. I got questions like, God, how come you let my parents get divorced? 
I mean, that doesn't seem like a good God would do that. I mean, I, I need that question. Some of you are waiting. I need that question answered. Why did my father commit adultery? Why did this happen with their finances? Why did this happen with my parents? Why am I about to go to two different Christmases? God, you answer that question, and then maybe like Mary, I'll say, I'm your servant. Let it be. But until then, I'm holding out for these questions. And some of those questions for you have slipped into to doubt, to fear. God, maybe you're not good. What's robbing you of simple obedience? Is it fear? Is it doubt? Is it not trusting in God? What's robbing you today of simple obedience? God wants to bring hope in your life. He's gonna do it in unexpected ways. He's gonna do it in simple ways. He can do it through you. Whatever place you come from, whatever person you are, God can bring hope, a confident expectation, rooted in promise, in and through your life. If you'll say, hey, I'm your servant, let it be. If you'll, if you'll respond in simple obedience, what's ro robbing you of that this morning? Is it fear? Is it doubt? Is it your own ambitions? Some of you are scared to death. If I say I'm your servant, let it be in my marriage, in ministry, in my life, what's God gonna do with that? I mean, what, what would God do with that? I mean, I have my own plans. I'm already making my New Year's resolutions. And if I just say open-handedly, I'm your servant, let it be, maybe he'll take some of my ambitions away through my submission to him. Maybe I won't climb this ladder at work. Maybe I won't experience the success that I'm looking for. Maybe he'll tell me, don't date this girl. Instead, you should stay single for a while. Maybe he'll tell me, hey, now's not the time to move. Maybe you should stay where you're planted. Maybe he'll tell me something I won't like. Is it your own ambitions that are preventing you from submission to God? Of saying the simple act of obedience like Mary, I'm your servant, let it be. Whatever that means in my relationships and my finances, where we live, whatever that means, God, I wanna see your hope come in my life but also through my life. What is robbing you of that? Is it fear, is it doubt? Is it your own ambition? What we see is that, that Mary unlocks this hope through simple obedience. And some of you may look at that and say, well, okay, well, I mean, Tim, uh, I'm not Mary, um, and this is a different time, and, and you know, there's, there's uh, a pandemic, and I, I don't know if you know this, Tim, but you can't just say, like, I'm your servant, let it be. I mean, there's lots of things we need to work on and get situated. I mean, there's lots of limitations, and we have to wear a mask, and listen, nothing is impossible with God. Even your life, even 2020, even in Phoenix, for you, even in your family, with, with your marriage and where you think it's, man, this is impossible to get resolved. Even in your finances, even in that job that you want, you're like, man, I'm the only one who doesn't have a job right now. Like, it seems like everybody else in the world, the economy is going great for them, and, but for me, it's not. And God's gonna say, hey, nothing is impossible with God. You see, for Mary, this teenage girl, betrothed to a carpenter named Joseph, called by a lot of people probably in that day, a whore. Hey, what, how, how are you having this baby? You're not married yet. Like people around the well talked about Mary. That was Mary. But, but look at what God does through Mary. Not only does she raise God, but she also raises a guy named James, who writes a book of the Bible and pastors the church in Jerusalem, the hub for ministry in that day 
where people would go out of Jerusalem and fulfill the great commission of Jesus. She also raises a guy named Jude, who also writes a book of the Bible. Now listen, just to clarify, I'm not saying, well, Mary was a mom, so she did what she was supposed to do. Ladies don't hear that. What I am saying is that, hey, yeah, women have great potential, can do anything they want, but even for Mary, who happened to be a mom, God did the impossible just through her being a mom. Moms, you know this, how much simplicity is in your day? How much mundane is throughout your day? How much do you think, hey, does any of this matter? Whether you're wiping a butt or opening a Chromebook for online school, you think, does any of this matter? And it does. God can do the extraordinary God can bring hope even in the simplest of circumstances through simple obedience. Some of you aren't a mom, but you work in a cube. Some of you don't don't work in a cube, but you're in your semester at school. Whatever the case is for you, through simple circumstances, through simple obedience, God can do extravagant, impossible things. God can bring hope in you, through you, and around you. Do you see that possibility in your life? Let's pray together. Father in heaven. I pray that we would. I pray that all of us in here, no matter our circumstance, no matter our background, no matter our day-to-day, how simple it may seem, God, that we would see you can do extravagant through simple. God, you can bring profound power and hope and impact through simple. God, we don't need fame and finances and followers We just need some simple obedience in the midst of our simple circumstances for you, a powerful God, to show up in amazing, powerful ways. So God, I pray for all these men and women who are watching this, who are at home watching this, and maybe thinking even just so simple as like, I'm still in my PJs watching a sermon on a Sunday, like God can't do much through me, and that we would look at this story and be reminded that he can. God, that people in this room who are looking at their circumstances as they close out the year and thinking about all the simplicity of it and Christmas is not gonna be the same as it it has been. It's not gonna be as extravagant. God, your extravagant grace still breaks through the simple. God, for all of us today, that we would put on your lenses, that we would see what you see. In 2020, that people need hope and, and you can bring that hope through simple people in simple places. And we wouldn't miss that. We pray that in Jesus' name.